This week on the podcast, we have a special webinar audio feature that is from our digital fundraising webinar that we did with CauseVox. The founder there, Rob Wu, talks about his top tactics for digital fundraising. We jump in with some extra elements as well. The entire video, if you want to see these slides and all of the additional resources for this one, can be found at wholewhale.com slash university. Wholewhale.com slash university has tons of online courses and webinars that you can go back, watch, and feature. I hope you enjoy the audio on this uh, for free. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Um, welcome to Whole You Live, using analytics to answer who are my donors. Uh, this voice is Meredith Esquivel, marketing manager at Whole Whale and dean of uh, Whole Whale University. Uh, Whole Whale is a digital agency uh, that leverages data and technology to increase the impact of nonprofits and social impact organizations. And Whole Whale U is our capacity building platform. So we have courses, templates, and more. And I'm joined by CEO and founder of Whole Whale, George Weiner, as well as the CEO of Cosvox, Rob Wu. Um, before we dive in and I pass the mic over to them, I just want to note that we will be sharing the deck and the recording after today. So keep an eye on your inbox. Um, and we will have time for Q&A throughout the presentation, so you can direct those questions to the chat and I will read them aloud. Um, with that, I will pass the mic over to George and Rob. Hey Rob, thanks for joining us, buddy. Uh, we're going to be going through these slides. As Meredith said, you will get um, you know, the ability to get this recording afterward. We're saving it. Uh, but Rob, why don't you give us an intro to CauseVox and get into it? Okay, okay, cool. So George, thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Rob Wu. I am the CEO and one of the founders of Cosvox. Uh, Cosvox is a digital fundraising platform for nonprofits, big and small, to use so they can grow and accelerate and raise more with less effort. So tangibly, you can use Cosvox and our fundraising software for your donation pages, for your crowdfunding campaigns, for your peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. And we just make it less clutter make it more seamless and we bring one-on-one -on -one support so we can help you grow your fundraising. You know, I've been doing this for about 10 years. Uh, I love nonprofits and I'm excited to share with all your whole whalers today, just a few insights on the fundraising side. So on the next slide, you'll see that one of my missions ever since day one is to fix fundraising for nonprofits. You know, 10 years ago, I was working as a consultant for the NSA and for the Department of Defense, but also was working for a lot of nonprofits and helping them improve their processes, improve their fundraising, improve their marketing. And one of the things that we saw was that there's a big gap when it comes to fundraising. So we set out to solve that. But then recently, when I was looking at nonprofits and talking to a lot of staff, one of the issues is what we found, as you see on the next slide, is that a lot of people who do fundraising, they're either communications folks who are like thrown fundraising activities or they're fundraising folks that do communications. So a lot of different types of people wearing a lot of different hats, 
you know, on the next slide, you probably see that you yourself, if you're a communicator or a fundraiser, you're probably a blog writer, you do emails, newsletters, you do like a lot of different things, including fundraising. Well, this causes a big problem. So what you see over here is that because you wear a lot of different hats, there's problems that, that occur. And I identified three big problems that happen when organizations throw different type of activities at their staff. One is a big people problem. So as in their people don't have enough time or don't have enough resources or skills to execute on making fundraising successful. The other big problem is around the process. And a lot of times, traditionally, nonprofits have, seen, have looked at their fundraising as something that's project-oriented, something that they just have to do a couple of times a year. So there's never a process that's created in order to help them optimize, measure, and grow their fundraising, especially when it comes to digital. Then very lastly, the big problem that we identified is around the technology, where I would say a lot of folks today say they have clunky technology tools, they have things that just don't work as well, that actually are a hindrance to their day. So three big problems. And a lot of this puts your work at stake. You know, a couple of different things um, where if you don't do fundraising well, and if you let these problems overwhelm you, then the public's trust is put at stake. They may not trust your nonprofit anymore. And if they don't trust your nonprofit, then you're not gonna fundraise successfully. Or it could be your social impact where that's put at stake because you don't have enough resources in order to execute on the projects and programs that you have for your organization. And of course, at the end of the day, it's your time, your reputation, and your job on the line. So this begs the question, well, how do we fix fundraising? So I actually think based on my consulting days, that the problem, the solution can actually be found in a problem, which is fixing your processes, fixing your problems, and fixing your technology. So that's how you can grow your digital fundraising. So today uh, with George, I'm super excited just to share with all of you today, uh, just some of the latest thinkings that we have drawn from my own experience for the past 10 years of doing digital fundraising, but also from my experience as a fundraiser as well, raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own causes, um, and also just drawing from best practices of what we've seen customers at nonprofits that use Causebox do in order to grow and accelerate their fundraising. So George, are you ready to get started on this jams? I am incredibly prepared to interrupt you and yell out things <laughs> because our goal here is to make this uh, useful and fun. And then I'm not sure about the order. Yeah, I'm down with that. So I think the first thing I want to share with you in order to help you accelerate your fundraising and how you can fix it is to build a fundraising process. So um, I used to work in strategy and operations, helping like a lot of different clients. And when I took that and started working at working with nonprofits at Cosbox, you know, this is your current state for your fundraising plan, which you don't, may you may not have a fundraising process because everything is so project oriented, or everything is so haphazard. Your boss is throwing you different things, saying, "Hey, you need to do this. You need to do that." There's no process in place. A process is something that's step-by-step, step, that's repeatable and measurable. 
Or if you're one step up, you may have a fundraising calendar where this is something like this, where you have different quarters and different months throughout the year. And you have your fundraising activity, you have your costs, you have like all these different things that have all lines. This is like more of a calendar. So for a lot of organizations, they may have something like this, but in the end of the day, there's no process where you can replicate and there's no engine for your fundraising to happen. So a couple of different problems with the current state. I love this uh, actual slide here, just so people listening, like you have some like detailed stuff here, like fundraising activity, the cost, the staff hours, volunteers needed, estimated income, estimated cost of it, net income. Like this is, um, this is like a pretty advanced uh, fundraising calendar with a lot of detail. Is this the norm or is this like the, like the piece de resistance? Is this the best we can do? <laughs> you know, I think this is a good milestone to aim for if we don't have anything. But if you have something like this, then it's not going to help you fix your fundraising. So this is actually a screenshot from one of our resources, our fundraising plan resource that we give to startup and small nonprofits that don't have a fundraising function. Because before you build a process, one of the things is just to figure out how you can fill your calendar, just how you can just do something related to fundraising. And after you do that, then you can actually tidy up and create a process around that. So I think if you don't have anything, that's something good to aim for. Now, with all of this, different problems occur. So if you don't have a process, you have a start stop style of fundraising where you're doing fundraising in, let's say, November, December, and then you stop fundraising in January. A lot of organizations do this just because it's start and stop. Or there may be long cycle times where because you're doing start and stop, it's always harder to move a car forward or move a ball forward when it's not in motion. So because of that, it's hard to get started, it requires you to cycle through longer times. Or fundraising is treated as a one-time project. You know, a lot of times I think this is stemming from traditional fundraising methods where people are writing grants, just like a project. You know, write a grant for a project and they write it and they're done. Or they're running an event. So it's planning an event and the fundraising is done. And in a day, it's not a repeatable process. So a lot of things that make fundraising clunky and if you're thinking about, well, why can't I fundraise more? It's probably not because your, your organization doesn't have great stories. It could be that they don't have a repeatable process for you to put minimal input into in order to grow and keep the engine going. So um, on the next slide, you'll see that this is something I actually stole from you, George, on Rachel's <laughs> webinar last week. She took it from us. I was like, this I mean, is great. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> that so uses this, it in our presentation. It's good. All right, let me hear it. Well, let me hear it. All right, all right, all right. So, so actually, we have our own process, but I thought I want to share this first because you know we're on a whole whale webinar. So, I wanted to give you guys a hat tip. So, in order to change the problems, the start stop and the, the long cycle times, you can actually implement a process for your front end. So, this is a whole whale, so which matches pretty well with ours, where the first step is you just want to raise awareness. The second step is you want to get people interested. And then lastly, you want to keep people engaged. So uh, what this looks like on ours actually is something a lot simpler. So we call this more of a fundraising cycle where you just want to attract folks, you want to nurture folks, and you want to convert folks. So just three steps, attract, nurture, convert. So ours is less of a funnel where it ends at the bottom and more of a cycle. He's always interested in attracting people, always interested in nurturing, always interested in converting. And converting could be different things. 
So very tangibly for all of you. Uh, so attraction means, hey, first start part of the process, do things that cast a wide net. I hope well you all talk about raising awareness. Now for us, it's about just getting, getting a net out there. So posting on social media, writing blog posts, running Facebook ads, for example. So doing things that allow people to, to find you or read about you. After that, then you want to nurture these folks. So you want to do things that showcase value. So share stories, get people excited, send them email marketing impact stories, call your list, post videos, just get people excited. And then after that, you want to convert. So you want to do things like get a donation. Now we talk a lot about fundraising. So our CTA mainly is getting a donation. So sending out an email appeal, getting a recurring donation, doing peer-to-peer. Now, the problem is that some organizations, when they approach fundraising, they don't know which step they're on. They may just jump to convert what they haven't done, attract and nurture. Or they're thinking about, hey, we need to be on Facebook, or hey, we need to be on Instagram. Now, that's great for attraction, but it's not great for converting. So... So think about what your digital fundraising process is. You can follow Attract, Nurture, Convert. And then from there, uh, you have to have the three defined steps in order your process, then you can actually measure and repeat. So using some of these, uh, based on what your activities are, you can measure them, and then you can optimize and repeat them. So you're putting minimal effort into pushing uh, the ball forward. So on this, you have these sequentially ordered. However, I get the sense that these all work in parallel, or maybe I'm doing maybe in Q4, 70% more converting than attracting. And then in Q1, I may be doing 70% more attracting or nurturing than converting. Do I have that right? I would say if, if you want to simplify it, if you're basing fundraising off the calendar, then yes, like more of your activities during your end are focused on conversion, and then more your activities early on in the year are more on attraction and nurturing, just because nonprofits still follow this, this fundraising cycle. But I will have to push back on that. I actually think that nonprofits don't have to always follow that schedule. They can always be attracting, whether it's beginning of the year or the end of the year, they can always be nurturing and it can always be converting. So it really depends on the newness or freshness of your leads. If you're getting contacts, then you want to make sure that you nurture them before you convert them. And it's really based on when you acquire that contact. So it can happen throughout the year. Um, yeah. So metrics over here, if you want, if folks want to follow it. Um, so once you have three steps, for example, then you can actually measure the output of those three steps. So. For example, first stage, attracting folks. Then you want to make sure you have one metric or two that you can easily report on and follow. So for most nonprofits, there'll be number of email contacts they get onto their list or number of followers they get onto Facebook or Instagram or whatever channel they're using. So this will actually help you define, hey, are the activities that I'm doing when it's attracting, is it actually growing? And then you can report that on that on a periodic basis, monthly or quarterly, whatever it is. Same thing with nurturing. So nurturing, you want to look at different things. Common metrics are like open rates as well as page depth. Page depth is how deep someone is on your site, how many pages are they looking at, 
And I'm sure George can explain this a lot better than I can. And then lastly, conversion, like your donation page, conversion rates, your number of new donors reporting on that. So once you have three steps, you have three metrics to follow. And then every single day, every single week, you can actually see if you're growing fundraising versus just saying, hey, once a year, I'm going to look at December and see how much I raised. So 11 months out of the year, you're actually flying blind. I like the categorization of putting them in the buckets, putting them in the buckets and then saying, you know, if you're only focused, if you're doing fundraising on number of donations and all of a sudden that number goes down and you're like, why did it go down? And then you realize like, oh my gosh, our newsletter has been broken. Our registration hasn't been working for the past six months. So we have nobody new in the pipeline, but we didn't feel the effects of that until downstream six to nine months. And that's just like one of the many things that can kind of go sideways. The element I would add also in attract is I would push you toward meaningful measures of attention. Attention is the currency that we are playing with, fighting for, and building on. I want 30 seconds or more of someone's attention across these platforms. So uh, my edit here would just be saying, if you are getting a follower, make sure that that follow or that post or that video is capturing uh, your 30 seconds branded with your narrative, pulling them and surrounding them with your story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just put in a GIF here because I love GIFs. Uh, what we're looking at here, though, is a classic Pixar narrative of uh, the movie Up. Donations are a form of commitment, and commitment is a journey. And it's important because Rob's talking about not stopping, not hitting the pause button, not driving 60 miles an hour, asking for something as intimate as opening your wallet, uh, and then suddenly saying, hey, you're not going to hear from us for six months. That's not how it happens. In this epic sort of, uh, you know, first three minutes of Up that's going to make you cry unless your heart's made of stone, uh, they meet as kids, they date for a while, they get married and continue on in this narrative. But it's important that just because you get married, it's not like you're not going on picnics or not being friends. Uh, it is part of this uh, narrative that I think I'm hearing from Rob that we're constantly attracting, delivering value, uh, and giving these opportunities, of course, uh, to, to give and commit. Also, in this narrative, it's important that Pixar didn't start with them getting married. You can't ask people who don't know you to give on the first date. It's weird. It doesn't work. And people won't marry you on the first date in the same way that if they don't know you for a hole in the wall, they're probably not donating. So this, um, you know, getting back into it is a uh, bit of a journey. Rob's also mentioning about this plan. He has a super detailed plan that you should definitely steal uh, because that's what we do here. We steal out of love. Q1 through Q3, I'm just showing you an example. Like you can have this narrative calendar. Q1 through Q3, we're growing an audience, sprinkling in, giving episodes. And then disproportionately, I'd say most folks are going to have uh, giving in Q4. Keep in mind, though, that people give throughout the year. While more money is technically given in Q4 and even like 12% of overall giving happens in the last three days, which is kind of wild. So make sure you're still asking up until the very end. It's still important to be doing uh, all of those uh, elements that Rob mentioned throughout the year and have a plan. What you can kind of get sidetracked by is, oh my gosh, my board member's kid is, um, you know, all about this new platform. We suddenly have to, to jump onto it. Um, and then suddenly you're, you're sidetracked out of uh, the need to just uh, to, to play on pointless platforms like TikTok. And absent of 
uh, overall macro strategy, you can quickly waste your time on the interwebs. Yeah, that's right. You know, George, you talk about how attention is the most valuable currency when it comes to marketing and fundraising. And I actually think that time is the most valuable currency at nonprofits. You know, they don't have time to waste. You only have limited amount of time to get your work done. And as we talked about, you're wearing a lot of different hats. So you shouldn't be wasting kind of all the, all of this, all these hours on these tangents and side projects. The more you have a process down, the more you can just put in a few hours, optimize it, measure it, and actually prioritize the work that you do. Well, so. Rob, I think currency is the most important currency. So there, how about that? How about that, Matt? Okay. All right. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, we're talking about dollars raised for, for social impact. So I can't, I can't argue against that one. All right. So uh, tip number two. So you know, at Cosvox, we helped out tens of thousands of peer-to-peer -peer campaigns. So I'm a little bit biased because I'm a peer-to-peer -peer advocate. Um, so what I would recommend folks do is add on peer-to-peer -peer fundraising for onto everything. So if you're running fundraising initiatives, then add on this way of fundraising or find a way uh, to complement it to your existing fundraising initiatives. This is the easiest way to get started when it comes to peer-to-peer. So what is peer-to-peer? -peer? So peer-to-peer -peer is something like this. Uh, this is just a screenshot of something on Cosvox where one of your board members, your volunteers, your supporters can go in, create a personal fundraising page, we put in their name and their photo. And very importantly, they can actually put in a custom story that they wrote themselves and then share it with their friends and family. So their social sharing integration, which allows you to get more reach, is more authentic because this is a, a basically a personal story of the work that your organization does. So it's more interesting for their readers and everything is trackable. So it goes directly into your organization's bank account. You get analytics, both marketing analytics as well as donation analytics. So, and in the day you actually raise more money. Um, so, you know, you'll see the screenshot of Cosbox, a personal page. This is one for uh, University of Alabama. So we served them as well. Uh, just to give you a different example, basically same concept. They're raising funds to, to beat hunger. Uh, Javier's photo, his name, his personal appeal, and he's able to send it to his friends and family. Uh, I really love peer-to-peer -peer because you collect all your donor data. And from an analytics standpoint, you need your donor data. Although it's great to get cash in the mail or through other channels, just free money, it's always better to know who your donors are so you can actually nurture them as the second phase of our process. Nurture them, thank them, and convert them to our firm action. And then on the next slide over here. I will jump in and say, I, I promised Rob I wouldn't use the F word, but I feel like I have to in this moment. Um, so Facebook is um, maybe something you have heard of, and they do offer fundraising, but the data is not what they offer. They do not give you the data of who gives. And in many cases, that means you can't form a relationship. You can't nurture them. It hits the stop button on the very moment when it matters the most to start that relationship. So uh, sure, Facebook does this, but they do not give you the data. All right, that's my rant. Yeah, I think that's 100% with that. In order for you to grow your fundraising in the long run, you definitely need the data so you can thank them, report on them, track their donor lifetime value, all that good stuff. 
So a couple of different use cases that you can tack on peer-to-peer -to, -peer to. Uh, Giving Tuesday obviously is coming up in what, less than three weeks. So organizations that we see on Cosbox that tie in peer-to-peer -peer fundraising on Giving Tuesday and outside, they tend to raise twice as much. So the reason why you raise twice as much is because it's you're leveraging other people's channels. You know, when we talk about awareness, the first part of your process, you can use channels that you own, like your Facebook page and an email list, to channels that you can buy, such as through ads on Facebook and Instagram and search, and there's channels you can borrow. So peer-to-peer -peer is a channel that you borrow. So you borrow your donors, your board members, and all their, uh, their audience in order to raise awareness about your organization's work. So Giving Tuesday is a good example. You can tack it on to your year end appeal. You can do a challenge. You can do some board fundraising. You know, I was in Chicago yesterday talking to a big nonprofit there. And what they're thinking about is tacking on peer-to-peer -peer fundraising to their existing in-person peer-to-peer in-person fundraising events where they're still selling tickets. So there are folks who can't join or buy a ticket, they can do some peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. And they've seen some success doing that. So a lot of different use cases, and these use cases actually bubble down into a lot of benefits too. So uh, as I mentioned before on the next slide here, that on average, peer-to-peer -peer increases the nations um, by 2x. Um, I personally think and have seen that it beefs up your marketing funnel, especially on that awareness stage where you're borrowing somebody else's audience. You know, let's say your email list is 10,000 people then think about how many folks create pages and are sharing that and each person shares it via email 20 times, then you're getting thousands and thousands of more reaches from that. Um, there's increased attribution reporting on donations. So you get you can actually get source data. So donations coming from peer-to-peer. -peer. So you can actually see where donations are coming from and then you can nurture them in a certain way. And Obviously, the last thing over here I want to share, I know this is a long list, is that people can engage their donors. So around the concept of donor fatigue, if you're always just asking donors to give, then it gets kind of boring, even, even if your impact is great. So sometimes folks want to just do something else. So we've seen peer-to-peer -peer as a great donor engagement tool in addition to being a great acquisition tool. Uh, one other point I actually want to share is that uh, it's – when you run peer-to-peer, -peer, the other benefit too is that you're getting these authentic stories from your folks creating these personal pages. So it's a great way for you to increase your content generation without having to dedicate more time for uh, for you to actually do the work. So you get authentic reviews, you can get quotes, and can repurpose those throughout the year on your other fundraising initiatives. So I had a point here uh, with regard to remembering the 99-1 rule. And in this, uh, in this rule, it is the idea that of your audience online for any sort of community uh, with regard to engagement analysis, 90%, right? If you have 10,000 folks on your list or on your site or at your event, 90% of them are sort of lurking consumers. They're, they're not necessarily doing very much, but they're just kind of in the wings. 9% are passive participants, liking, maybe making a comment, signing that petition. They're a bit passive, but they're not the ones that'll necessarily like create the whole photo essay submission or write the story. 1% 
are committed. 1% of that 10,000 are going to be the ones that potentially in this case actually pick up the phone for that call to action, are going to be the ones that create the peer-to-peer -peer fundraising opportunities. However, those people can do a lot of good. They can do a lot of fundraising. They can ask their friends, which is, by the way, the number one reason people say they give is because they were asked and asked by a friend. And this is what you're enabling, that, uh, that power law, that 1% that can do 99% of the work. Uh, so I want to sort of couch this in, if you put out this call to action, don't be disappointed when 100% of your supporters don't do this and use as a benchmark, can I get 1% of my overall audience that I've been growing and nurturing? Can I get 1% of them to do this? Because that is still a pretty big win. Yeah, that's a huge win. And if you do your job right before you do peer-to-peer, -peer, um, if you're actually nurturing your, your base, then you'll get more conversion. So you get 1% and maybe even more if you're doing your job right when it comes to building your fundraising process and spending the time nurturing your base. So uh, number three over here, that one, number three in terms of advice is to use donation landing pages for better data and better conversion. So what is a donation landing page? So it come in different forms. You know, one form is something like this. So Glad, uh, one of our customers, uh, uses our campaign sites to create a landing page where it hosts how much they're raising, how much time is left, how many donors there are. So they can put in content, video, text, all that good stuff, as well as social sharing is integrated. Um, organizations use our campaign sites because their websites have failed them. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, hard to edit, it's, it's hard to edit their website. It's hard to get their IT person involved or the website is more informational versus fundraising focused. So see that a lot. So as a comms and development person, you can't touch your site. So you kind of have to develop your own campaign site. Great thing is there are tools like Cosbox that you can use to improve the performance of your uh, digital fundraising. So uh, this, this is what, uh, what, it, what it looks like uh, that you can use. And I like it because you can actually plug in typically better tools into campaign landing pages than your site where it might be easier to, where you can track Google analytics, you can track conversion, you can track data. So this allows you to run your fundraising and improve your process a little better. Uh, on the next example, uh, this is School Lunch Ferry, a smaller organization. And you can do something uh, just like this as well. One thing I wanna point out is they're also showing the number of impact in terms of school meals that this campaign has raised. So when it comes to nurturing and telling stories, it's not just about uh, getting a donation. A lot of times it's about showing donors what kind of impact that they're having. So tools like this are built into donation landing pages so that it helps your donors feel like they're more tied to the story. And then very lastly, in this last example, is that you can even use campaign landing pages, donation landing pages, uh, for your corporate sponsors. So super flexible. So it's not just related to your organization. If you have corporate sponsors, you can even leverage them for some fundraising. You can co-brand a specific page, uh, which is a lot easier to do on a, on a donation or a campaign landing page than your own site, where that corporate sponsor can share it with the networks and their employees and customers in order to raise funds. So a couple of different examples over here. What you don't want to do is something like this. So let's say you're, uh, 
you're in your year-end plans and then you're creating all of this. You have a great story. You're, you're raising awareness. You're nurturing. But then at the conversion point, which is our last step, it looks something like this. It's, boring. it's just a form, essentially. So what you don't want to do is do something very generic where it's very transactional. Um, so whatever you do, please just don't do this. Yeah, for those of you listening, it is just a long, boring form with a lot of fields. Long, boring form, ask for your car number, ask for your billing address, ask for your mobile number, ask for a ton of things. Um, and, and just one giant long page. But wait a minute, you still need all that stuff to like take money. So what are you suggesting alternatively to this? More design, a layout? Yeah, so there are a couple of different ways you can solve this. Uh, one is that you have a different layout where it's step-by-step, -step, so it makes it look a lot shorter than it is. Because people love to complete things that are laid out in steps. It's just easier on ramping. The second thing you, you can do is you can actually remove some fields. You know, I think back when online fundraising first started, a lot of organizations were collecting billing and postal address. Now that CRMs have gotten a lot smarter, organizations have stopped collecting that, where they don't need you to enter in your billing address again and again and again. It stays the same. So they're only asking for a credit card, and then that's it. So it increases conversion rates. Another, another big benefit of uh, donation landing pages is that you get internal data tracking. So not only on Cosbox release, you have like an activity feed of what's going on. In other fundraising platforms, you may have the same thing. So you can easily see who's donating and how much instead of having to run a report on your bank account. And then um, you can also just uh, dig into each donation and see what the source data as well. So donation landing pages have a lot of benefits. Um, on the next slide, you'll see kind of four different ones where it's a billion times more compelling than generic donation form, which helps increase your conversion rate. So I would say the way that your donation form looks is just as important as the story that you share. Also, you can display other types of data like videos and photos so that it becomes more compelling of a page for someone to read. You can have internal data tracking so you don't have to pull reports all the time. A lot of organizations are still using uh, you know, kind of clunky uh, reporting tools. So they have to ask a data person to run a report and it's not in real time so they can't run their fundraising. With a donation landing page, you can have that. And then lastly, you can actually integrate your data a lot easier with other analytic tools so you can see what's going on. Yeah, I can definitely say integrating with tools like Google Analytics are wildly powerful and useful and it just makes me generally sad when your donation form brings someone off the site on an untrackable page in a way that you then can't, we've been talking about at attribution, you can't even attribute whether or not they came from email, came from an ad, came from social. It's just like, oh, a thing happened because traffic. And it's just inexcusable in our day and age uh, with, with the tools available to not have a donation page that is integrated with these pieces. Yep, and also Facebook pixels if you're using it, paid ads. Um, so you can actually see if your ad spin is, is actually converting, like what the ROI is. Uh, one thing to add on your donation landing page is, you know, make sure that uh, you have a low number of form fields as possible as well as you can plug in some type of mobile payments like Apple Pay and Google Pay to increase the amount of donations that you get. All right.
Uh, let me see. Uh, number four. So where are we over here? Number four is you want to increase your donation page performance. We alluded to this a little bit over here. And you know, I alluded to this in our process too. You know, a lot of people think that, hey, fundraising is just about me telling stories or me sending out email. It's about the communication aspect of it. But your technology is a big aspect as well. You know, we talked about before where it's a people process and technology issue. So the technology typically helps track the attract and nurture, but also it's your conversion point. It's your donation page. And it's where your donors actually go to to make a donation. So you want to provide them with a great experience. You know, bad technology is actually very costly. So an easy donation form, this is just a hypothetical example, where let's say with easy donation form, you get the same number of views as a hard donation form. You get the same number of clicks as well onto your donation form. But with the hard experience, you get 10 donations. With the easy one, you get 20. So just with this hypothetical example, you can actually lose $750 in donations by providing your donors a clunky conversion experience. So what you should do is actually provide your donors a donation experience that's easy and seamless. So this is just one example from the Cosbox platform where uh, an organization is able to brand their donation page, they're able to make it step-by-step instead of having a long form field as uh, we discussed with George. And we actually have donation tiers that tie to a specific impact as well. So what you don't want to do is just have something where it has amounts. Like with this over here, is it really about impact or is it really about you just wanting a transaction? You want to make your donors feel like you're giving to something that helps increase your impact. Uh, here's an example from the North Texas Food Bank. And uh, it may be hard to see on the screen, but they tie each amount to a specific impact. Like for example, $100 in terms of donation helps them access 300 meals that they can provide. So when you give donors and tie, give them a way to tie their donation to some type of impact, it helps your narrative as you're nurturing them along in the process. And very lastly here, um, a great tip is to always give your donors a way to cover any type of fees that you have. Um, you know, we're so accustomed to paying tax and tip uh, at restaurants and meals. So your donors are also happy to give you a little bit more percentage when it comes to making a donation. So on our platform release, we'll be seeing that 75% of donors opt in to covering your platform fees for you. So this is an easy way for you just to increase your fundraising without any type of effort. So I definitely recommend that you put that in. Uh, this yeah. is a slide over here. I just want to just say like, it's just like an, for those listening, an actual checkbox, you know you've seen it before and it's great that you're sharing those data because you're like, whoever clicks this or like, I never click that. I don't care if you never click that. 75% and they have a large data set. Uh, are actually doing that, which makes the platform effectively free in that moment for that transaction. Mm -hmm. That's right. And this is a slide I actually stole from uh, Rachel in last week's <laughs> presentation, where I think this illustrates the point that you just talked about, George, where having a long form field means less donations. So you want to make something that's easy so donors can go through that. 
Yeah, the instinct is less always gets more. We're showing you in a ridiculously long form. Um, and fewer fields equals more money. It's like it's actually proven time and time again in UX that every extra field you add can decrease the overall conversion rate by an additional 10%. Um, and you know, when you have a donation page that on average is losing about 85% of people that land on it according to MNR benchmarks for 2018, like you need to fight for every percentage point. Rob was showing us, you know, the downstream effects of, wait a minute, even if 30 people end up on that page, uh, there's still a final conversion that has to happen. Even if someone's motivated and you're like, I don't believe it. And you're like, look, people are lazy in aggregate. And so you have to make it simple. This, this process has to be pretty baked. Talking about Google Analytics, uh, we can actually track this and find the drop-off points once Analytics is in there with funnel visualization, looking at the donation page where you enter, then the personal information and the one-time drop-off. And you can see if you have outliers or any problems. And uh, in this example, I'm showing you what happens when a thousand people start a funnel and then end up with just 10 donations. And you're like, all right, we're losing humans. Um, is this over or under what I expect? How can we improve the steps? The language is something confusing. Uh, and that's where testing comes in. Uh, A-B testing, obviously, um, Al Gore invented the internet and Barack Obama invented A-B testing, the more you know. Uh, but the, the sequential piece that he, um, he tested in, in giving, uh, we're showing you this uh, sort of Obama shooting a basketball at a uh, donation form on the left layout, uh, but they made it sequential and they had a 5% lift in, in overall donations, which is huge when they're dealing with large numbers. And so, you know, this isn't like, oh, well, this won't work for our group or you just do that because it looks good. It's like, it's been tested. By the way, you should test it again, but it is, um, it, it is something that, you know, obviously Barack Obama did and there you go because Obama. All right. I know we're kind of running uh, almost. We've got, like, we got like 17 minutes. We're doing all right, buddy. I got us yeah, on pace. We, we want to like have some time for questions too. Oh, so I think don't have almost... any questions. <laughs> all right. So number five, <laughs> you want to unramp your contacts. So uh, George said, I can't say bad words on this webinar. So I'm not going to say that one but it starts with an S and it ends with a T. So you wanna make sure you on-ramp your new contacts. So, you know, in the beginning, number one, we talked about on-ramping and the process. The on-ramping is really around the nurturing stage where yes, you're sending out newsletters, you're posting on social media, and then once they get to you, once, they, once you have their email address, or even once they start following you, what are you gonna do in order to educate them and move them along to further nurturing. So that's what we're talking about here. So uh, just some brief on-ramp tips. So you wanna match medium with medium. So medium is uh, what kind of channel they came from. So if, if someone uh, found you with a blog post through organic search, for example, then you, what you probably wanna do is take a look at what page they landed on, what page pages they read, and then serve them up a nurturing campaign that is similar to where they came from. Now, similar in type, tone, content, because that's what attracts them. Or, for example, let's say they came in through social media, they followed you on Facebook or something like that, or you got their email that you subscribed through your Facebook page. Then you know that this person 
uh, loves being on Facebook, probably. So you want to nurture them on face through Facebook and through similar content they have on there. So you want to match medium with medium. When you don't match medium medium, you're kind of putting two different two puzzle pieces that don't fit together. The other thing I want to add on is that you want to segment your new contacts by source. So this is very important when it comes, especially when it comes to peer to peer fundraising, because the donors you get through peer to peer fundraising, they don't know about your organization in the way that your existing donors or donors that come directly to you know about you. So you want to have an on ramp for those peer to peer donors in a way that is basically just starting from scratch where they can learn about that you're a nonprofit and that uh, whoever friend that they have like is tied to you. And then from there, you can on-ramp them in a way that makes more sense than a generic way. Um, and then lastly over here, it just create an on-ramp process, create a nurturing process. And then if, when you have the process, you can actually optimize. So those are kind of my three tips when it comes to on-ramping. And I'd say in terms of that process, this can be automated. I don't want you to have to feel like once you've you know, created it, you then have to like handhold every single person in the door. You need to think about what that welcome series looks like. If it's someone new on your list, are they getting the generic drumbeat or do they get uh, you know, five, hey, this is us, this is what we do over five messages over five weeks where they have a separate messaging chain and then they're also additionally a part of the overall drumbeat. You can program that. You can program birthday notes if you have their birthday information. By the way, you can program in giving anniversaries automatically with a number of platforms. Uh, MailChimp is a very popular one. You can put that in there very, very easily by uploading a certain day field and setting a, hey, you gave last year, that's great. And by the way, this doesn't require you handholding and going through. So if you find yourself doing a sort of incremental line by line bit of work and messaging out, just take a beat and say, is there a way to automate this? Can I put a lot of care into this message and then have that care go out uh, on, on a type of schedule? Yeah. Yeah. One of our customers, uh, Tisiga Cancer Foundation, I'm actually going to visit them tomorrow or tonight. I forget. Um, and they, they have an integration where they built, well, they basically integrated ConvertKit with Coslox. ConvertKit is a email automation tool similar to MailChimp or Constant Contact. And once they get a new donor or a new fundraiser, then they're sent an automated nurturing campaign uh, where it's a series of emails and are sent to that contact. The benefit of this, not only is it less work from you because it's automated, but you can actually see with each email, like if someone is opening it and if they're reading it. Once you have that process and those metrics in place, then you can go in on a week by week basis or uh, month by month, whatever the period is, and then tweak those emails, tweak your subject lines, tweak the content so you can improve your benchmarks against yourself. I think, you know what, that may be worth the entire webinar right there. So one more time talking about that, that automation, this is where the smart time is spent. Consider that moment where you've created this thing one time with care that then produces value over time, requiring zero extra hours of that precious commodity called your staff time. So this is a great place if you're like, where, you know, where can I really 
uh, improve what I'm doing? How am I planning for 2020? Like steal this, do this, you know, take two in the morning. You're welcome. Thank you. Webinar. That's the time currency that can increase right there. Time currency to currency currency, which is the best type of currency. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So let's do one more over here. So the last thing over here that I want to share is about upgrades. So now I can see why a lot of fundraisers and nonprofits don't do well in fundraising because they're not salespeople. They're not slimy, you know, money makers like I am over here where (laughs) I always think about. And you notice now because I told you kind of, my uh how i grew up is that my parents always talked about money so now i'm thinking a lot more about money so one of the things you need to do as a fundraiser is kind of take off your social good hat and then put on your sales hat so what you want to do is the easiest opportunity for you to grow your your uh, fundraising is to raise more from existing donors so just to break it down there's a lot of ways to make money One way is to just attract more customers and donors, right? That's the hardest way. The other way is just to get more from your existing donors. So it's easier, it's warmer. So what you wanna do over here, uh, just some tips, just quick things that work, that work really well, is that you can include an additional call to action in your donation receipt. So whatever donation receipt you're sending out to your donors, whether it's automated or whether it's on a one-on-one basis, then just add in an additional thing that your donor can do. So uh, this one over here is for your one-time donors, you can actually upgrade them to a monthly recurring donor and then you can give them a reason why. And they can just click here or reply back to your email and then you can manually set them on a recurring donation. So that's something that's worked very well for our customers. So one-time donation, let's say you get at 75 bucks a year versus a monthly recurring donation, 75 versus 25. 25 is less to that donor, so it feels a lot less, but then the retention rate is higher, so you're actually getting a lot more funds, just just to illustrate the differences between a one-time donation and the value of the monthly recurring donation. The other thing you can do- Your your big takeaway here though, for people listening, it's like one-time donation, he maps it out, 75 bucks a year versus a $25 a month with 80% retention, uh, turns into $240 a year or roughly 3x more donations. Reoccurring giving, there's a reason people do it. SaaS model businesses, software as a you know, service with monthly subscriptions. There's a reason why we're all paying for Netflix and they're doing so well. And by the way, now we have to pay for Disney as a subscription model. It is such a reliable form of business and it moves you from that sort of one-off DVD sale to the Disney subscription model. And it yep. works and this is the math, right? You, any way you math this, it's going to produce more money. It's a harder ask, but, but this is a fantastic tactic. Yeah. And if you're a board member or like an executive director listening to this, then what I really like about recurring donations is that you can actually make investments for it because the churn rates typically for recurring donations are very low churn being people who stop their recurring donation. You can easily predict how much donations of revenue you're going to get every single month. So if you know how much you're going to get every single month, just like a paycheck, for example, then you can actually think about, well, I want to make investments forward into my project or my program, or we can afford to get to get on some type of capital lease so that we can grow our projects and programs. It allows you to invest forward throughout the year. 
Um, the other thing that I want to share over here as a quick tip to on-ramping and onboarding is when you're doing peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, uh, this one tip actually raised, I believe, ten, ten dollars to $15,000 for one organization in value. They just said, hey, when someone signs up for a peer-to-peer -peer page, we're going to send them a custom email as the first part of a nurturing campaign. And in that email is one bullet point that says, hey, make your first donation by going to your page that you just created and just making a donation. So the great thing about this is that it allows you to upgrade an existing donor or supporter who just took an action for you. And then now they're actually making a donation onto their personal page. So it allows you to raise a lot more funds. I'll note that we're talking about segmenting uh, and in this sort of slide, I'm showing you that uh, this like sort of almost Bernie-esque type of 1% uh, own 99% of the wealth, but it's, it's absolutely true. 1% of your list has 99% of the wealth. If you are messaging everyone the same way, that includes the sort of like billionaire in your backyard. So find them, message them differently. There are ways of appending data, but there's also ways of uh, figuring that out and considering who your whales might be. Yep, and then just two more ideas when it comes to um, to upgrades. Uh, one is an easy one, just an opportunity for folks to share with their friends so that they are going to an event or uh, made a donation. And then secondly, if you're integrating peer-to-peer, -peer, the opportunity to create personal pages as part of something else. Some final points here. Start getting your questions ready as we move toward the end of the webinar here. But the uh, where to find numbers, you know, we can look in Facebook analytics. Those numbers are there when we add the pixel and track it. You have to have the Facebook pixel set up on your site, though, and also on donation forms. Probably mentioned it integrates with their platform. Same thing with Google Analytics. Both of these analytics platforms are technically free. Uh, and then we'll allow you to see the source medium, for example, inside of Google Analytics of it was it organic, was it paid, you know, was it a other referral, and whether or not they converted. I want to make a note that if you are spending money uh, to acquire donors, make sure that you don't lose money. Make sure that the cost per acquisition, this may seem obvious, is uh, it is less than the lifetime customer value, which means don't pay $100 for someone to give you $10. That's a bad idea. It's called losing money. Uh, you can calculate your donor lifetime value. We've mentioned it a bunch of times, but it effectively is the total amount given over that one-year relationship uh, beyond one year over the, the lifetime of the, you know, as far as you can track with an individual user. And, you know, again, calculate again how much it is to, to acquire the donor in each range because it's different if you spend $100 to get somebody who signs up to be a $25 a month subscriber giving every month. It, that's different. You make that up uh, quite quickly. So that calculation is super important in your acquisition. Great. And then just to kind of wrap things up when it comes to the digital fundraising side is like, your data matters. You know, we talked a lot about today how you need to track things, you have a process, you need to measure. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's just hard to measure things or what you measure doesn't tell you anything. So you kind of have to trust your gut from time to time where you have to say, hey, I think this works because I've seen this work somewhere else or based on my experience, we should do X, Y, and Z. So that being said,
Uh, other thing too that works really well is to use both quantitative and qualitative stories. You know, people think in different ways. There are people who are more analytical, people who are more emotive. So you want the stories that kind of touch on both or you can measure that you know, or test that. Um, other thing too that I think is really important is thinking about your behavioral data. Behavioral data to me is always more important than demographic data. I think still a lot of folks are tied to saying, hey, we need to look at our donors, look at their age bracket, for example, and then we'll use the right medium for the age bracket. So younger people will use online and Facebook and social media for older folks will do direct mail. But that's not always the case. So looking at how, how someone opens up an email or what channels are on and how they behave is more important. Um, and then lastly over here, I think what's really important is just really think about your process. Yeah. Have a fundraising process, then measure that process and make improvements to that process. Then all these tips and tricks and new social media things will nicely slot into those buckets so that you know what's important and what you should focus on. Cool. Well, we've got a, a few minutes left for questions, Meredith, if uh, anything has come in and it doesn't seem like it. So I'll uh, add a couple more pieces here. There are fun multimedia tools, just as bonus tips for you. Uh, Canva.com slash nonprofit is great for creating images of all kinds and all sizes for all platforms. We're talking about a lot of these like visuals here that need to accompany that donation form. Canva's gonna like save you from yourself. Uh, Quick.gopro.com uh, is a great little app actually for creating videos uh, based on assets. And uh, another one, wevideo.com slash nonprofit is uh, another one for non-editors, editors to create videos that can, can tell your story uh, as you close in toward the, the end of the year. Okay, uh, shameless plug. We have a plugin also, uh, getlighthouse.io, that will take that Google Analytics data and then allow you, remember we mentioned 85% of folks leave that uh, donation page. Well, we have an activity segment that you can create based on those data that will, if you have their email, uh, give you a list of emails that, let's say, donated, uh, visited a donate page but had not completed the donate goal. So you can actually message and be like, hey, did something go wrong? How's it going? Uh, and that might be worth uh, that type of recapturing. Okay, uh, keep in touch. Uh, we are rob at causevox.com and university at wholewell.com. Uh, and we have university courses, as mentioned also, Rob has some, some, some rival courses. So buy them both, obviously. <laughs> They're not rivals. I think they complement each other. <laughs> They're in bitter... We're, we're the biggest frenemies you've ever found online. Like every type of search, it's like who you're going to go with, Whole Whale or Cosvox. Um, I just go with both. Click both. Why not? Just click, <laughs> click both. <laughs> um, awesome. Any, uh, any final pieces, Meredith? No, thank you both for coming. Thank you to all the attendees. Um, if you have any questions, you have our contact information. Yeah, I hope everyone has a great week. Thanks again. All right. Thank you all. Bye. Take care, Rob. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.
Hey, Rob. What's up? Uh, what is the number one way that pirates donate, or how much, I'd say, on average, do pirates donate through the CauseVox platform? Pirates don't donate. They take all my money. That's incorrect. It's a buccaneer. They donate a buccaneer. Oh, gosh. Uh, hey, what kind of cheese is not your cheese? Nacho cheese. Oh, jeez. George, are you are you a dad? You're a dad, right? <laughs> uh, why do clams rarely donate on Cosbox? Mm, because they don't have any money. <laughs> They're shellfish, buddy. They're so <laughs> shellfish. Gosh. On that one, <laughs> we'll get started. Thank you to everyone for tuning in.